opportunity to speak to you at a level that I may not do in a uh, regular church service or in some other kind of uh, forum, plus uh, we have a Q&A. If you're new here, we will get more question and answer. Let's begin by just worshiping God, giving Him praise, and then Josh can toast and I'm asking us for us to Father, we thank you. Uh, 
to kind of uh, dare Israel and the United States to do something about it. They put it there with caution, I'm sure. They don't know how we're going to react and how we're going to respond and uh, so uh, all of that. And so there's so much more happening, but I realize once again that we are coming to the end of what the Bible calls the time of the Gentiles. And this is very significant. You know that the time of the Gentiles is when the attention of, uh, of God shifts from Israel to the Gentile peoples of the earth. Uh, the coming of Jesus, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, commissioning the church to what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then we have the first Gentile saved in Acts chapter 10. And from there, Acts chapter 13 is the first of the Apostle Paul's three missionary journeys. And from there, the gospel extended to, to the Gentile peoples. This is called the times of the Gentiles. That's going to come to an end in the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. And the focus is going to shift back uh, to reaching uh, the Jews. In Romans chapter 11, the Bible says that all Israel will be saved. Doesn't look like that now. Uh, Jews, uh, to a large degree, are agnostic, uh, atheist, non-religious. Most of the military personnel that were involved in the uh, forming of the nation of Israel from 
current state of our church in particular and the church in general, which is in desperate need of leadership. This is part of the inspiration that I have for the Sunday School that we're going to start in three weeks about, I think it's December 15th, is the start date for my Sunday School that I'm going to be teaching entitled Countdown to Judgment. And I'm going to take apart and unpack all the various uh, dynamics concerning the fact that we're heading toward the judgment seat of Christ if you're a believer and the great white throne of judgment if you're an unbeliever or a sinner. I'm going to do everything I can to make those events real uh, as a way of trying to motivate people to be as thoroughly right with God as they can be. Because the fact of the matter is that in a church of our size, 500 plus people, there are numerous people that are not going to make heaven their home that attend our church regularly. They won't be taken up in the rapture. Jesus estimated that half the church won't be taken up in the rapture. I've been praying and hoping that's not true uh, in our church or in our fellowship because of how we preach and we preach on sin and repentance. But I can certainly believe that that's true in the religious world. Half the church is not going to be ready when the bridegroom comes if you read and take literally the numbers in uh, the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins uh, in Matthew 25. And then, of course, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I don't know. So there's a lot of people going through religious motions. They're here in our church. They're not right with God. So that, that, that stirs me. That, that puts upon me an urgency. And the countdown to judgment is going to be an effort where I can express that urgency and try to uh, get people... Uh, thoroughly right with God. And so what the church needs is a good, strong base and foundation of men who will be an example, provide leadership, pay a price, be willing to sacrifice, live outside the boundaries of their own interests. And my question to you is, will you be that? I wanted to have this session in the sanctuary because we're going to have an altar of consecration where my prayer is that from this altar forward, uh, there's going to be a difference in the level of consecration. So I want to preach briefly to you, and I may break this up into two messages, depending on how we go here. Uh, but I want to preach about leading with urgency, because there is a crisis of leadership. Jesus is coming. The congregation is going to be standing before the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. That needs to be recognized, realized, and urgency needs to be imparted. The church needs to be as strong as she can be in the run-up to Jesus coming. And it's my job as a pastor and your role as, as men who want to provide leadership to inspire people to be as thoroughly right with God as they can. So let me read that text one more time. John 9, 4 and 5. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. When no one can work as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So the first thing I want you to see here is that we have a time limit. We don't have all the time in the world. Some people act as though they do. I got plenty of time. There's no urgency that we're gonna you could stand before God sometime today. We could have another hour, another five hours, another day or three or four to live. Young people, children. People in their 20s and 30s slip off into eternity. Uh, they don't plan on it, but it happens. Life happens. Death occurs. We have a time limit in that context. We also have a time limit prophetically. 
And this reality escapes most people. We don't have a real genuine sense of, of how short time is, and because of how short time is, life is very fragile. And we have to make every moment count. I have to make every service count, every message that I preach from this altar could be the last one that everyone hears. This could be the last altar call. There are people out there who are hearing the word of God. This could be the last opportunity they have to get saved this side of eternity. And I feel a real sense of that. So we have to make every moment count. And this is what Jesus is emphasizing. There's a time limit. And I think I brought it out in that translation. That's the new King James Version. It says, I must work the works of him who sent me. But if you read some of the other translations, the Amplified, for example, he uses the word we. So it's not just referencing himself, but, but he's referencing his disciples and those who are going to follow him. And it takes a completely different uh, connotation. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. So as time is passing and moving, it's getting shorter and shorter, and we're all getting closer and closer to our appointment with God. Time, the, the best way that I can illustrate it is that time is compressing. You know, when Jesus came, let's take the last 2,000 years, we have this time, much time. Then every 100 years that passes, time compresses and compresses and compresses. And then Israel becomes a nation in 1948, and that becomes a prophetic reference point. That the time is even shorter, and it continues decade by decade, year by year, day by day, hour by hour. Time is compressing so that now we're here. And that's urgency. We're living in that very brief last few moments where the time of the Gentiles are coming to an end, and there's a lot to do now before we could... We could uh, uh, assume we've got a lot of time. Now that we know time has compressed, uh, we've got to do what we need to do uh, in a very short amount of time. And that should produce in all of us a very real sense uh, of urgency. And because many of you, perhaps, uh, don't have a sense of how precious and how short time is, uh, we get very careless with our time. We waste our time. This doesn't mean you can't have a hobby. You can't take a vacation. You can't uh, have some form of recreation and relaxation, uh, but it needs to be underneath the, the reality. The time is short. I don't have a lot of time to screw around in my life. I don't have a lot of time to waste. I need to be about my father's business. Uh, and this is something that drove Jesus from early on. Remember when he was 12 years old and his parents had gone to the temple for the yearly sacrifice, uh, and then they were traveling home separately. Joseph was with the group, and Mary was with the group, and they each assumed that Jesus other, and they went a day's journey walking, so that could have been somewhere between 10 and 15 miles, and, and then they met, they realized, where's Jesus, they went back uh, another day's journey back to Jerusalem, and he was in the temple, uh, sitting around with uh, the religious crowd, teaching and asking questions and debating and inquiring, uh, and when they, they brought correction to him, he said, I must be about my father's business. So there was always an urgency with him at 12 years old, I had to get busy for God i got to start doing what I have been called to do. And so we can be very careless with our time. And as a result of it, we waste it. But the Bible puts this truth that, that time is short, that, and we have a time limit in the context of a warning. You do not have time to waste. 
to do uh, the will of God. You don't save time, you can only spend it, whether wisely or foolishly. Listen to the Amplified Translation of James chapter 4, verse 13. It's a very familiar scripture. Life is a vapor. Here for a while it's that verse that you're familiar with. But the Amplified, listen to the translation of it here. It says, come now and pay attention to this. You who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, carry on our business and make a profit. You do not know the least thing about what may happen in your life tomorrow. What is secure in your life? You are merely a vapor like a puff of smoke or a wisp of steam from a cooking pot. This is a visible for a little, that is visible for a little while, and then it vanishes away into thin air. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, everything in the framework of what God wants. Therefore, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, that we will live and we will do this or that. But as it is, you boast vainly in your pretension and your arrogance that all such boasting is evil. So that puts an attitude in the context of evil, and the attitude is, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want to do anything. That's evil, prophecy. That's arrogance. As though you have some control or some sovereignty over the amount of time. So that being true, life being a vapor that's here for a moment and then evaporates, we have to be very careful, very thoughtful, very prayerful about what we do with the time we have. Psalms 144.4 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Job 7, 6, he said, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and are spent without hope. So the reality of our sense of time has to do with recognizing that we really are in crisis. When you consider time is short, eternity is being determined. People are slipping into eternity without Jesus. We have a world in which we as a church have been equipped with all the faculties to reach a lost world. We have personnel called to preach. We have finances and resources that are utilized to send. And so all of these dynamics are in place. And it's the reality of our sense of crisis that determines what we need to be doing with our time. So consider the Titanic, this huge ship. Someone made the comment that that not even God could sink this ship. It was constructed in a way they thought it was unsinkable. Even if it crashed, uh, it wouldn't sink. Even if, it, if the hull was breached and water entered into the hull, it wouldn't be able to sink. But this ship, this great ship on her maiden voyage, cruising along, passengers looking forward to being in America, some of them going to work, some of them moving there, some of them enjoying a very extended, luxurious vacation. Uh, and so they're luxuriating, they got plenty, and then they hit an iceberg. And then time compresses because the ship now is determined that it's going to sink. So what are you going to do in that time period? Huh? You're going to relax, recreate, apply yourself to it? No. That compression of time, the ship is going to go down, I think, between the time it hit the iceberg and the time it sank, it's only an hour and a half. That determines what you're going to do. And how serious you're going to be about the actions that you take. And I think that a lot of people, and it's very difficult to uh, communicate this in a way that people feel it, but a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of members of our church, and perhaps some of you here, you're headed for a 
is another issue that I think is pertinent. We're not grasping the value and the privilege of our calling. What is the centerpiece of all creation? You would say man, okay? But not, not, that doesn't stand alone. We know what the centerpiece of all creation is by virtue of God's activity from the fall of man all the way up until the coming of Jesus, his death and resurrection, him telling his disciples to meet in the upper room, be filled with the Holy Ghost, and then go into all the world. The centerpiece of all creation is the church of Jesus Christ. We were in Caesarea Philippi, the actual place where Jesus took his disciples and Caesarea Philippi is a, is a, is a beautiful place. It's, it's in the middle of the desert and you know, a lot of wasteland. It's a beautiful place. There are beautiful springs and waterfalls and, and uh, trees and uh, wildlife and so forth. It's a very beautiful place. And, and Jesus walked 30 miles to take his disciples there because he had something to say to them that he wanted said there. Caesarea Philippi was a place of idolatrous worship. There was a... Uh, there was an idol that had been set up to Caesar, the Roman uh, focus of worship, to Baal, the Old Testament Philistine uh, god. And uh, there were other various gods that had been set up. They would make little grottos in the rock cliffs. There was Mitchell standing right underneath them then. And it was there that Jesus asked his disciples in Matthew 16, 13, who do men say that I am? He's standing in the middle of all these... Uh, Focus is religious worship. And it was Peter that said, You are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Flesh and blood that has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then he said, Blessed are you. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the focus. The church is built to on the revelation that Jesus Christ is Lord to be part of this church. And I don't know that we grasp it. Certainly a lot of members of our church don't really grasp this. To be part of this church, have the opportunity to come together in an atmosphere like this where God is present, where there's anointed preaching, where we have an altar call, where the business of the kingdom of God can be transacted in people's lives, where you can grow and develop, and your marriage can be healed, your, your future can be determined, that your, your uh, inner life can be continually transformed to be part of this church and to be called to be involved in the building of the church, which is your calling, gentlemen, to be called to be involved in the building of this church is the greatest honor, the highest privilege in the history of the world. I often pray and thank God that he has put sacred things in our hands. Thank you, Lord, that you have placed sacred things in our hands to be stewards over. He's given me oversight of the church and of a congregation and inspires us all together to value this as the highest priority of life, the centerpiece of, of all of creation, and, and in many quarters. And you know what I'm talking about, but it better not be among us if the church is treated with such indifference. I can't fathom, and this was born in my spirit, that from the earliest moments of my conversion, I cannot fathom missing a church service. Even when I was a disciple, 
young person, the idea of staying home, taking a vacation, and a lot of people take vacation, Sunday comes along, there's no spiritual uh, orientation. Remember, it's one of the Ten Commandments, keep holy the Sabbath. That commandment doesn't end with the coming of Jesus. I think it becomes more important and more uh, of a determination and more of a focus. But our culture reflects that uh, the church has to be convenient. I was speaking to my aunt. Uh, they're, they're Catholics, nice, good, decent people. But I called her yesterday about 4 or 5 o'clock and nobody answered. And then she called me back later at about 8. And she said, oh yeah, sometimes we go to Mass on Saturday because it's convenient for us. Well, uh, Jesus isn't interested in convenience. Because the reality is that building a church can be highly inconvenient. We are primarily here to serve the interests of others to build up the church of Jesus Christ, we get ministered to for sure. We're, we're, we participate, we come, because we get fed, we get challenged, we get nurtured, God helps us, God speaks to us, uh, our needs get met, but also we come here to die and to sacrifice our lives in service to others. And everything that God has done has culminated in the building of his church. This is a physical gathering together of saved people where God is glorified. And we give evidence that this is a priority by being in place, on time, worshiping God and establishing Jesus Christ as Lord. This is the first uh, challenge of your leadership, whether you're going to be faithful to his church you're going to build your life around faithful church attendance and being involved in some kind of ministry that helps to build uh, the church and edify. The word comes, you heard me preach this numerous times from the Greek word ekklesia, when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. That's the word ekklesia. It's actually a secular word that referred to the assembling together of city officials for the purpose of of transacting uh, business of a city or a municipality. They would send out a summons and all those various uh, officials who had responsibilities, they could have been in their home, they could have been in the marketplace, but once they were summoned, they physically went to a place, gathered together, and then business was transacted. Uh, and so Jesus said, I will build my church. I'm going to have it. So it involves physical assembly. And when we gather together, we consider this to be sacred and holy ground. And people need to be taught. I know that we're going to have a Sunday morning only crowd. And I do everything I can to try to inspire people to be in every service. It's just the way it is. Uh, but we still emphasize the challenge to be in every service. That's the example that we personally set. And people need to be taught that. And we have a tension. Uh, there's a tension between... Um, religious members of our church, let me just refer to them as that, there's a tension between some somewhat prominent members of our church that either have always been or have returned to being a Sunday morning only crowd. And so that provides a tension. Other people see that and they may follow that example. That's what concerns me. That's what worries me. So I have to, <coughs> and you have to provide Not everybody, just one person. <laughs> uh, and provide, excuse me, 
between those who are identified as members of the Door Christian Fellowship but they live in open, overt compromise. They're not ashamed of their compromise. So we have to provide a counterbalance and provide a source of influence for our newer members or those who are, uh, you know, just uh, beginning to develop. And that's why leadership uh, is such an urgent uh, matter. I consider being in every service a matter of life and death. Because you're going to hear things that are necessary for life for your future, for your marriage. A commitment to being in every service is essential uh, to spiritual health. Uh, thank you very much. Spiritual health, spiritual life. I believe the will of God and the purposes of God playing out in, uh, in your life. And people need to be taught and instructed and shown and see that the approach uh, to faithfulness is practiced and the benefits are realized in our lives. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote when going to church was literally risky because of the persecution. But Paul said, no, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the habit of some has become, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So he's saying time is compressing. We need to apply ourselves to spiritual things and that needs to override every other consideration in life. Even if you're afraid for your life to step out of your home and make the trudge uh, and the march to meet together with unbelievers, uh, you do that because uh, time is compressed, Jesus is coming, uh, and these are the priorities of life. And this is one of the ways uh, uh, that you uh, present uh, leadership. Titus says in 2.7, in all things show yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. So in other words, you're demonstrating something. And then in Matthew 5, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, the city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So that kind of contradicts the rationale that, uh, you know, uh, my relationship with God is just between me and me, uh, me and me. God is private and personal. I don't really want to uh, be concerned with uh, how other people are affected by how I do. said, no, you don't get that. You don't get that. You don't get to have that privilege. Uh, and you don't get to live selfishly. You're in the light of the world. Others are watching. They're going to emulate. And I preached that sermon on reproduction the other day uh, where I asked the question, it's a convicting question, or should be convicting, is your life, is the current state of how you're living your life worthy of being reproduced in someone else's life. In other words, if it is, if the current condition of your heart, your attitudes, the full body, how you treat others, pray, give, the, the, the full body was taken and put in others, what kind of shape would they be in? You see, so that puts an urgency on us to be repentant, to be right, thoroughly right with God ourselves. So we have a challenge, gentlemen. I'm going to further this next week, and I'll finish the sermon. I'm right in the middle of the second point, and I'll present these notes to you. But I wanted to gather you together here today. I had already sent out a text yesterday uh, just to challenge you to make sure you're here, and that we feel the challenge here. This is our time is compressing. We don't have very much time, but the Titanic has hit the iceberg, and what we do now is going to count for all we drink. I want you to buy We need to make an altar of consecration, but before we do that, perhaps you come 
blaming others for our life. We quit making excuses. And we take responsibility. I am the person that I am because of the choices I've made. I've made that decision. And I'm willing to take responsibility for that. God, I'm sorry. I repent. I'm ready to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Turn from my sin and live for God. That describes you. And you'd like me to say a prayer for you this morning. Why don't you just lift your hand very quickly. Lift your hand right up. All over the school. You could be back soon. It happens. We drift slowly over time. We lose our sense of urgency. We begin to detach. When a boat in a storm first detaches from its mooring, it's a foot away, two feet away, three, still close enough to be rescued. But after a while, you get 10 feet away, then 30, then 40, then trouble, then 50, then a mile, then two, and 10. And get hopelessly lost and it happens incrementally over time. And this may be an altar where you need to rededicate your life to Christ. I wonder if you'd lift your hand. Alright, so as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. My appeal is very obvious. It's not something that we have not challenged you before. We need to lead with a sense of urgency. You know, that began to grip us early on, my wife and I in our Christian life. We need to be in church not just for ourselves but for others. Someone could be looking for us this morning or tonight. What if someone comes to church that we witnessed to six months ago and we decided to stay home and watch the Dallas Cowboys? How pathetic is that? That we don't put the things of God first. We have an attitude of lethargy and apathy. Time is being compressed more and more. We're coming to the end of the times of the Gentiles. Jesus is coming. Missiles are flying in Israel right now. Russia is positioning herself for the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's mind-boggling that we read these things in the Bible and we read them in our Sunday morning newspaper. This is an altar of consecration. For you to consecrate yourself to begin to lead, help me lead the church with a sense of urgency. This means you're working to influence others. Every service you as men who lead should be talking to people, encouraging people. How are you doing? What can I do to help you? Can I pray with you about anything? Will you be in church tonight? It's important for you to begin to establish. How about coming to prayer? I'll pick you up. You should, we're all, there's an urgency to love. Because what's happened, and I've discussed this with leaders in our fellowship, what happens with a church as old as ours is and as uh, large as ours is, the, the, uh, the tipping point comes where compromise begins to take control of the atmosphere of the church. Lethargy begins to take root. Lukewarmness begins to occupy the pews. This is what happened to the church at Laodicea. There weren't enough people on fire for God leading with righteousness and integrity. So I want you to stand with me. I want you to come to the altar. I want you to consecrate yourself, Lord. From this day forward, I'm going to lead with a sense of purpose to God. Father God, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I want you to pray in your own way, lift up your voice, and make this a serious point of surrender in your life. Jesus consecrated himself in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, help us to examine ourselves. Pressing forward, Lord, no matter what. Help us to stay in prayer. Help us to 
yesterday we're at the juvenile detention center in the morning we speak to the, the kids there and uh, as everything that was going on I was reading Ezekiel 33 about the watchman about being a warning so I thought of what you just said about warning people you know, that the time is short you know we can get caught up in our lives and we're very guilty of that too you know I'm trying to win back my kids to come to church too because they're also important you know in their salvation and um I was just thinking, so I was talking to another brother, and he told me, you know what, you have to mention when we go on vacation, too, that you don't go on vacation for being a Christian. You know? And the reason I thought of that, too, is because someone had texted me and said, hey, you know what, I'm leaving uh, out of town, uh, can you pray for me? So I was like, okay, yeah, and then uh, I was like, you're going to go to church, so-and-so church for service tomorrow. And they're like, we might. You know? And I was like, what do you mean we might? Like, that could even be a, an option, you know? Thank you. 
tonight is a ministry meeting and a regular service. Uh, I had announced I had delayed our formal annual ministry meeting from having it in September to now we're going to have it on the uh, 7th of December, uh, which is a Saturday evening, and I'm going to do it with some nuts and bolts, but I wanted a few opportunities in a church service to preach on uh, various features of ministry and serving, uh, and so I'm going to do that tomorrow. Uh, tonight, rather, it's a ministry meeting. Uh, all the children's church personnel are going to be here. Obviously, it should go without saying, but every morning ministry needs to be here. Yeah, I'm going to preach a sermon called The Power of Getting Along. And how much 